0: Hey, I'm Kathy Walker from the Girls' Day School Trust, the GDST. We're a family of 25 girls' schools across the UK. We were founded by women for girls 150 years ago, and to this day, we remain experts in educating and inspiring girls. On each episode of Raise Her Up, we welcome guests who are experts in their fields to share their insights and to create the ultimate guide to raising and empowering girls, women, and everybody else. This week, our wonderful guest is critically acclaimed and much-loved actor, Tanya Moody.
1: I'd go to the theatre, I would clean the loos, I'd sell confectionery, I would paint sets. And my goal was, I'm going to be such an indispensable worker that I'll ask them if I can sit in on rehearsals to watch and they will say yes. And they did. That was my breakthrough moment.
0: She's done everything from Shakespeare to primetime TV. And you may well know her from the BAFTA award-winning series Motherland as the straight-talking and hard-partying Meg. Tanya joins us today to talk about her career, getting into and out of character, and how the world of acting has changed since she first graduated from RADA in 1993. From the GDST, this is Razor Up, and this is Tanya Moody. And I think again, one of I the thought things what's going is through the energy. Energy. that's what we're giving, isn't it? As a parent, we're giving our love. <laughs> Razor Up. Hi, Tanya, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting.
0: It is. It's super exciting to have you on. Thank you. At the time of recording, it's June, and last month you won a BAFTA for Motherland. So, congratulations on that, first of all.
1: Well, thank you. But just to be fair and precise, the production one, uh, BAFTA and I didn't get to take one home. So the people who got to take home a little uh, statuette, a massive statuette, were the uh, writers and the producers, but they did let me play with one for a little bit. And I accidentally bashed one of the writers over the head with it and realised how heavy they were.
0: (laughs) So I know I'm not the only one who wants to know this. How do you keep a straight face when you are filming Motherland? Is it as fun to film as it looks? Um,
1: It is. I mean, I think I do have the skill of being the straight guy if I need to, but it does get hard sometimes because Paul Reddy, who plays Kevin, he's like a devil. Like, He's the kind of guy who can make everyone laugh and not look like he's said anything. So everyone's on the floor. Filming has to stop. And he's just standing there like an angel going like, I don't, I don't know what happened. It's not easy.
0: Just before we, uh, we started recording today, I treated myself to a rewatch of the scene where you um, are belting out songs um, outside a nightclub hey, off hey. your face <laughs> and flashing your bra at the bus driver.
1: That was actually the first scene I ever filmed when I first joined the series, so... Oh. <laughs> And that was a night shoot as well. So that was about two in the morning, getting my boobs out. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I was just like...
0: So Tanya, how did you get into acting? It's a notoriously difficult world uh, in which to be successful. Was it a hard slog? Were you prepared for it?
1: I am one of those unusual unfortunate people that knew what they wanted to do quite young. And I'm learning that now with my daughter, who is a, a student in the wonderful GDST, that she is... Now at the age when I realized I wanted to act, she's 14 and she doesn't know what she wants to do when she is an adult. And I have to keep reminding myself that that's normal. It was the one area where I felt I had um, self-motivation, drive, aptitude, ambition, a a voracious desire to learn. Whereas every other subject I did, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't engage you know, I went to a Canadian secondary school. I did go to a GDST type school when I was in primary, however. I went to a convent. <laughs> and because it had that similar approach to education as the GDST, I knew what it felt like to have, you know, a huge array of kind of educational influences. I knew what it felt like to have very high standards expected of the girls and to always be reaching for that. I knew how what it felt like to have your peers also be, you know, laser focused on Achievement, and then I went to schools with boys, and that kind of was a nosedive <laughs>
0: <for me. laughs> all downhill from there <laughs>
1: and and you know, and they were state schools, and they were kind of a different thing
0: Was there somebody who who inspired you to go into acting? Was there somebody who said, "Look, you should do this, you should think about this
1: In a sense, I mean, my brother is an actor, and he's four and a half years older than me, and we're very close, and he had already started moving into the professional sphere by that point. I was 14. He was finishing high school and beginning to work. Um, he didn't go to drama college. Or he he kind of just went for it. And all of his friends were actors as well, and different approaches to how they got into it. So in Canada at the time, you had to have a certain amount of credits to graduate. And in terms of my regular academic studies, I wasn't going to amass that amount of credits. I decided to approach them and say, look. If I come in in the morning and do regular credits and subjects that I can engage with, like French, English, drama, obviously, Um, if I do this in the morning and then in the afternoon, I get on the bus and I go down to the local New Works Theatre and I work there in the afternoon, will you give me enough credits to graduate? And they were like, sure, absolutely. You know, and I had to kind of go, I had to go and sign in. And this is a theatre where my brother did a lot of plays and stuff. So I knew people working there and I just did everything, anything they asked me and more. So I was about 16, maybe, or 17 when I started doing that. I'd go to the theatre, I would clean everywhere, you know, front of house, I'd clean the loos, I'd sell confectionery, restock the confectionery, I would paint sets, I would sell tickets, I did everything. And my goal was... I'm going to be such an indispensable worker that I, I'll ask them if I can sit in on rehearsals to watch and they will say yes. And they did.
0: But how interesting though, because you hear about, I mean, you hear about chief execs who have started on the factory floor, worked their way up, got, really got to know the DNA of an organisation. And you have done that within the acting world. How fascinating.
1: Absolutely. Mm. And when they invited me in to sit in a rehearsal, that was my breakthrough moment for me because I got to sit at a table, I was only little, and there were all these big, grown up professional actors who I just really looked up to And they all were like, oh, you know, and they got the play, which was like the magic Bible and they all opened it up and they read it. And then like the director said, okay, so what do you think? And then this actress, actress that I really admire was like, I don't know. And I was like, oh my God. You don't have to be that smart. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> they literally know nothing. They just have to have the ability to kind of play and talk about it. And I was like, I can do that. Great. So then I was off. So I asked his, my brother's friends, you know, who worked there. I said, right, so what do I do? I'm definitely going to do this. What do I do? They said, well, you should go to England to study. Oh, really? Why? Well, that's, they're the best. Theatre, best in the world. And that was back in the day. Do you remember, Cathy, when there's like no internet? no mobile phones whatever so I think I had to go to the library I think by that point I'd read Kenneth Branagh's autobiography and he said that he went to RADA so I looked up their phone number or something and their address or I think I wrote them a letter or maybe phoned them you know time different said I want to audition and they mailed snail mailed an application and then I also auditioned for a Lambda because Lambda auditioned in Toronto Central auditioned in New York Radar edition in New York. So I applied for those three. And um, the rest is history, really. I got into Rado, and then now I've been here for 32 years of my life.
0: So let's talk about one of your recent productions. Earlier this year, you appeared in the lead role in a play called Trouble in Mind at The National. It's a play within a play um, about a black actor who appears in a play about racism, which is directed by two white men. And I understand that it's set against the backdrop of civil rights movement in 1950s America. What was it like playing that character yourself as a black actor against the backdrop of, of, of 2022?
1: It's very difficult, Cathy. Um, I had played that role before in, a, in a, a separate production of it. And that production, when I did it before in around 2016, 2017, I produced it at that, at that point. So... I was, you know, a a black single mum actress. I had a five-year-old girl and I had to work. And I'd had some previous critical acclaim on other plays that I'd done. And I felt like the iron is hot now just to at least get a meeting with someone to possibly get something made. So I had done a bit of research, spoken to a colleague of mine in the States, asked him to suggest a reading list, you know, went through some plays, tried to get some produced, finally read this one, thought, oh my God, this is amazing, about this woman, Willetta Mayer, in 1956, I want to say, Broadway, rehearsing a play, a straight play. She's normally done like sort of musicals and Black-only productions. And it's written by a white man, and it's directed by a white man. And it's full of every single trope of every single Black person you can imagine but they're trying to pass it off as high drama. She, she, I suppose she's never yet been in a position where she can be herself a fully realised human being within her art form, and she has to decide whether or not she's going to fight for that. So that's the nature of the play. And so it was a really easy sell for me to get someone interested to put this on because it's an extraordinary piece of work. I mean, it's hard to believe that it was written in the 1950s. So we did it in Bath. We did it in... London. Then the National approached me, you know, mid-2021 to say, Do you, would you like to do this again? We would like your own production of it. You can have a Zoom with the director, Nancy Medina. The play hits so close to the bone that actually it is emotionally and psychologically devastating. But at the same time I just felt like if the national are doing it, I'd feel so wrong if I'd missed the opportunity to tell this story on that stage because it had it has a bigger reach in terms of audience. And of course I want as many people as possible to see this play and stuff. But um, I still haven't recovered psychologically, emotionally. I mean, I know that sounds really dramatic, but I'm still working through it myself and with my therapist, it's hard.
0: You have previously said, you know, I don't want to talk about racism every day. It's exhausting. And there must be that pressure to speak or be expected to speak on behalf of all black female actors. Um, And I'm not surprised at all. And it doesn't sound overdramatic at all to say that you're still working through it.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, since, um, you know, the lockdown and everything that happened in America, and I don't go around mentioning the name of the person who was publicly lynched because I think it's really disrespectful to bandy his name around because it's it's like, he's become a sort of like diversity and inclusion tool, his name, Um, and I find it really disrespectful because it really doesn't take into account the brutalization of black bodies and how that was televised, televised all over the world. And people just say his name all the time. Like, and I've had to say in Zooms, can you please stop? Do you not understand that actually that has an actual visceral impact on the people of color in this room, you know what I mean? So just to say that, um, but since all of that happened, I have allowed myself to be a professional black person because, you know, the response of so many businesses, unions, organisations to suddenly look at themselves and realise oh my god we're actually institutionally racist, how awkward oh we have to do something about it oh let's call the most capable black person that we know and get them to help us sort it out and I happen to be in a lot of those lists and so I'd be approached and I would always say yes and so and then you end up being ineffective anyway on all these boards because you're sitting there like rocking back and forth going oh my god, actually I really can't do it. <laughs> this is too much, it's too much <laughs>
0: On each episode of Razor Up, we welcome a guest from our GDSE community to give their perspective on the matter at hand, and I'm joined by Emma Crookham, who is Director of Drama at Putney High School. <laughs> So Emma, we are talking to actor Tanya Moody in this episode Um, and it'd be really great to hear what you are doing from a drama perspective at Putney. But I'd also love to hear about the research that you carried out recently for the International Coalition of Girls' Schools Action Research Collaborative because you looked at how girls can harness their inner critic within the drama lesson.
2: Yeah, so I I did the research project a couple of years ago over COVID. So it raised a lot of uh, interesting questions from that as well about the inner critic and how we view ourselves as performers. We do a lot at Putney of uh, using our iPads to record a lot of performances in order to develop feedback and evaluation for further progress. So I was finding that was really interesting to look into because a lot of our students will instantly go, oh gosh, I don't like my voice. I don't like what my hair's doing. I don't like, and they're not focusing on the actual things that they can be doing to improve their performance skills. And it's been a really, really lovely journey with this. I use it now with my uh, GCSE and my A-level students when we're doing performances, just to provide a bit of scaffolding for them, of allowing them the safe space to talk positively about themselves, but also they're allowed to be critical of themselves, but in a way that is allowing them to progress. So, that it's not superficial or it's not anything, you know, that isn't about the drama. It's quite interesting actually because I got quite a lot of feedback from my students that I'd some, um, the students that I did the research project with are now in year 12. So, they were in year 10 when we um, did the project. And a lot of them were also sportswomen. And what they said themselves was that they, do use film to look at their their selves as sportswomen as well, but they find that with drama, because they're playing a role, it's slightly more safe for them to talk about it because they're seeing themselves playing someone else. One of the techniques we used was them talking about themselves in the third person. So they were almost being a director, direct, Themselves, which worked really, really well and seemed a nice way, again, of just supporting that element of feedback. One thing I've always said, and interestingly, I had a conversation with some sick form last week, they want to put on a student version of Rebecca. And they came to me themselves and they said, we want to write an adaptation of it and we want to have about 15 students to to work together and we want to work on a play and I said fantastic. The thing with drama teachers across every school is that we want to put on as much as we can so when students come and say we'd like to do this all we need is a space I can help with that (laughs) and I love that and I think by putting on your own productions you're learning so many more skills about theatre in general as well you're taking on the role of a producer doing the marketing trying to get people to come and see it all those things on top of creating the piece themselves so it's a brilliant learning curve and something that you know as long as you've got a space you could do theatre anywhere you know I love immersive theatre I love street theatre, all those kind of things. So by allowing the students to say, actually, we've got an idea, we want to just put it on. I'm all for that.
0: You have portrayed so many different roles. And I wanted to ask you about how you go about inhabiting a role, but also how you switch off. So for example, when we met last summer, you were speaking in an American accent because you were in character for Willetta. And I want to know how you become Tanya again at the end of the day. And on this topic, I absolutely loved your Instagram post where you were in your finery on your way to the BAFTAs, but you were just putting away some washing first.
1: <laughs> I know, because I still had all of that to do, right? I think the BAFTAs were on a Sunday, and Sunday is laundry day in our house. <laughs> so what you gonna do, right? You gotta choose, like, you gotta get some of it in, otherwise, you know, people are gonna be naked by Monday, so... <laughs> My makeup artist friend, because there's a lot of fore planning that has to happen with all that, you know. So she came in at ten, did the makeup while I was fixing the hair on top, and I got the dress off the peg from Zara because, you know, I try, I do try. Like, hi, I'm Tanya. Yeah, I'm after, can you dress me? People generally say no, you know, because I'm not uber famous and I'm not like a size zero, so I'm not doing them any favors by wearing their clothes <laughs> at all, you know. So um, before my car came, I was like, okay, I can get the stuff out of the dryer, start another load of something, (laughs) because, you know, stuff has to happen.
0: So is that part of coming out of role then, just the the drudgery of everyday life at home, you know, you are a mum, you're a normal person?
1: Ooh, at work, to disassociate a little bit, Just very basic things, like in the theater, once I'm finished, I take my costume, I always make sure I hang everything up and fix my table and sort of go back to first positions. And that way, I feel like I've just done something very pragmatic to distance, you know, sort of like draw a line. I also have my faith. You know, I'm a practicing Buddhist. I've been a Buddhist now for 28 years. And so chanting is always, that doesn't belong to the characters, that's mine. But as you said, you know, when we spoke before, you said I had an American accent, I didn't even realize I had an American <laughs> accent. There is a bleed. And I think if I'm doing, for example, if I'm doing several jobs on the trot where I have to have an American accent, it does pay dividends if I don't get rid of it entirely at home because there are certain vowel sounds and stuff that are a dead giveaway. And then it comes back again. My daughter will probably say something like, why are you talking like that? <laughs>
0: daughters exist to bring us back to earth don't they to to keep us in our place she is in a
1: position where her mother happens to be with one of the most powerful successful agencies on the planet and my daughter is very very beautiful so my agent was like i can get i can get her work because i constantly get breakdowns for people who look just like her and if she's interested So Willow started to be sent up for really big gigs, like massive, (laughs) like bigger than stuff I was being sent up for. And I'd be like, oh. And so she'd go up for these things. And once she even got a callback, she had to go into town for this callback for this major BBC series. And, you know, and it was really hard for her, but, you know, she did it. And so in my head, I was thinking, you know, it's a great exercise for her to do this kind of thing. So it's going to be healthy on that level. But it was the opposite apparently, she didn't want to do it at all, didn't have the heart to tell me because she thought I'd be upset. And so I said to my partner, look, can you have a chat with her when I'm not home? Because she will tell you. And he came to me later and he said, she doesn't want to do it.
0: Was that a relief for you in any way? Or was there a slight kind
1: of, oh? There was a bit of an oh, because I was like, you literally land up on your feet with like one of the best agents on the planet. And you're like getting seen for a massive series. Yeah. Like, can't you just sort of click? Like, <laughs> you just kind sort of do it. Mm. It just, it's not her, she's not into it.
0: No, but it's a tricky thing, isn't it, as a parent to want the best for them and want them to be able to pursue what they want to pursue and have to take your own agenda out of it completely. Yeah, I
1: want her to be happy. I want her to get the same feeling that I get and I've always gotten, where whatever working environment you're in, you feel like you're slipping into a a pool of like warm water like you're kind of entering into a space where you're like, <sighs> you know, you feel totally <laughs> enveloped and at home and like, this is my home. You know, I feel like that when I'm in a theater or any, or I walk into a set, I'm like, this is my home. This is my family. These are my people. This is my tribe. And I want her to feel like that wherever it is, if it's in a lab, if it's in a bank, if it's, do you know what I mean? As long as she has that feeling all the way to her fingertips.
0: Do you have any, any tips or advice for any kind of aspiring young actors out there or any parents of aspiring young actors? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it really is about immersion. Do what you have control over. because There's so much in your life that you won't have control over in that way. So you can go out and see as many plays as possible and all different types, not just musicals. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can go out and see as many films as possible. If you, and if you can't afford that, if you can just see things on telly, even, that's okay. Like, so what I would do when I was, you know, just starting out in acting and I, you know, I wasn't working all the time necessarily, I would make projects for myself. So, for example, I really like the actress Isabelle Huppert, French actress. I just think she's a goddess. I think that whatever she does is perfect. She's perfect. And so I was like, I'm going to just make an Isabelle Huppert season for myself. I would just watch her and study. What I would also do, uh, every week I have an artist date with myself. So I'd maybe start off going to a gallery, bit a Tate. You know, with all art forms, there's a bleed. There's going to be a bleed into your vision, your creative vision. Do that, immerse yourself.
0: These are all very achievable goals, aren't they? You know, the, the perception from the outside is that it is pretty impenetrable. But what you're suggesting here are all very achievable ideas.
1: Yeah, because the thing is, it's always about cause and effect cause and effect. Okay. So this is a fundamental tenet of Buddhism. If you are making a cause, you will reap the effect. That's just the kind of bottom line. <laughs> it's like you put in something, you get it out. So if you were determined, right, I'm going to be a creative. And so I'm going to make the causes to make art. I'm going to make the causes to manifest my fullest creative potential in my life as an artist. So whatever you can do every day is making a cause of planting a seed. Because sometimes you, you can look at it from the top down and go, oh my God, but how do I get an Oscar? Oh, oh God, it's like, well, how do I start? Well, start where you are. There's a saying in bosoms that like the spring runs right beneath your feet. Start where you are.
0: Start where you are. I love that. Tanya, talk to us about your upcoming projects. Um, this year, you've been filming Empire of Light, haven't you? A film directed by Sam Mendes. Can you talk to us a bit about that?
1: Oh, well, that was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. (sighs) So, obviously, now that I've been in this business for just about 30 years, I obviously still do have to wait to be given jobs, (laughs) even though I said earlier that I really hate that. (laughs) And I have remedied that somewhat in terms of I started producing stuff myself and mainly for television. So, I have a couple of different projects that are percolating away that we're trying to get. Filmed. it takes a really long time like i had no idea i thought that people just had really good ideas and they went oh that's a good idea here's money (laughs) again i'm like oh no it doesn't happen like that lucky for me i also now have found another passion so i really enjoy it a lot um trying to push nudge things along you know it's like when you see a dog nudging along a little kind of toy but i love it That keeps me happy. And then in the interim, I also audition for things. So I have a self tape, for example, to do today. And particularly since the pandemic, since lockdown, nowadays you put yourself on tape and you send lots of tapes out in the world. As I said earlier, you plant the seeds. So it's making the cause and you reap the effect. So sometimes you get jobs. (laughs) Out of, say, maybe 15 tapes that I do, I'll probably maybe get one or two. And you might do 15 tapes over the Space of two months or so, I'm guessing. But I am very fortunate I work a lot. And I have been in other positions where I'm like, well, I'm an actor who doesn't work a lot. But, you know, I was always reminded that's normal. That's normal. It's very hard. And that's why I found all sorts of other things to do, you know.
0: So talk, talk to us about Empire of Light. What's it about? What was it like working on the movie?
1: Yeah. So as I said, I put myself on tape and then I get this call saying, yeah, so Sam Mendes wants to meet you. I was like, <laughs> so I went down to Soho. he's in a room with his um, assistant. We just chatted and he was like, what's the job that you remember the most? And so I told him the story about Paris. I lived in Paris for a year working with this theater director named Peter Brook. So we were talking about that and I was saying, I told him the story how I really pissed Peter Brook off once and he told me off and I thought I wanted to die. But at the same time, it was the best lesson I ever learned in my life and I'll never forget it. And it was like one of the best things that ever happened to me. And he was like, really? wow. Yeah. I remember once my mentor, like, you know, said something to me as well. So we were talking about times when as artists, we would kind of cocked up and then we had a mentor sort of going, and that's why you have to look at it like this kind of thing. And so we sort of connected in this way where it's like, and I was partly thinking like, oh, I've just, have I just told him that I'm an idiot basically? (laughs) Like, I really like the fact he was like, no, no, I totally get it. I totally get it. Like you never, you never get to a point where you're like, oh I know how to do this now I'm perfect because there'll always be someone like a mentor someone who knows more who goes hang on a second um yeah and so yeah and then he was like they were like great so we give you the job and we went to Margate where we were filming and we had two weeks rehearsal because this guy is you know he's not just a director he's like an auteur you know so he has oh, he has overview on everything and he rehearses the actors like it's a play and he rehearses it so that when they get in they know exactly what the camera angles are going to be they know how to do you know what i mean everyone's prepared every department's prepared and then he filmed it chronologically as well which is unheard of in the filming world you know, where things have to be filmed out of sequence because of, you know, location availability and stuff. But he, his team builds every single set. So he has control over locations and stuff like that. And then of course I would try to kind of like get the rehearsal time to segue into him telling stories about <laughs> like his life and work. Cause he's, it's fascinating. He'll say things like, not in a horrible way, just because this is his life. He's like, yeah, so then when Steven Spielberg said to me, he's said, oh, Steven said, and you're kind of like, these are his mates, and like, just bants with Spielberg, you know what I mean? And so I was asking nerdy questions about, you know, the type of film he uses and why, and and, oh, and all the stuff, but I just was like, oh. <laughs> you know, when I was there working, I was like, bring your A star, 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 star game. And I did, I just made sure that I was
0: on it. On fire. And who did you play, Tanya? What was your character?
1: I played the mum of, so there's a, a boy who plays the lead. It's set in 1981 in a seaside town in the UK. And this young, my son wants to be an architect, but he hasn't gotten into uni and he gets a job at the local cinema. You know, there are movies playing like Gregory's Girl and um, really nostalgic. You know, these films and there's like, you know, there's the big marquee in the cinema and, you know, there'd be all these kind of really nostalgic titles and the sets that were made. Oh, my God, just sumptuous and so perfect. And anyway, so he gets his job in the local cinema and he meets uh, Olivia Coleman's character, who's a middle aged woman who is struggling with some issues, some personal issues. And they sort of um, bring each other to life again, in a way it's fascinating. I love it.
0: Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) This has been such a great chat. It's been an absolutely epic conversation. When can we next hope to see you um, on the small screen? When is the next series of Motherland out?
1: Oh, that's a good question. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. We're still trying to hopefully get everyone's ducks in a row to make that happen. Also, you know, my little face has been showing up everywhere. So at the moment on Netflix there's a show called The Pentaverit with Mike Mike Myers and I did a couple of episodes of that Life of an Actor
0: <laughs> Do you know what I mean It's been really lovely to have you thank you so much for joining us today
1: Well thank you it's been a joy I hope I've been um,
0: of some service Infinitely more than that infinitely more than that thank you Thank you Empire of Light will be coming to a cinema near you in January 2023 so go and see it I Absolutely loved that chat with Tanya. Um, sometimes it's just absolutely brilliant to speak to somebody who works in a completely different world from your own, um, because you learn that they really do not experience the same routines and limitations that that you might in your everyday. Um, I think the thing that sticks with me most from Tanya is her advice to start where you are. You don't have to come from huge privilege, and you don't have to have seen Hamlet uh, played by uh, 16 different people. You just have to have an interest and an energy and the motivation to find out more to get to where you want to be. Thank you so much for joining us for another year of Racer Up. I hope that you have been having the most wonderful Christmas. Please do join us again in the new year when our first guest of 2023 will be campaigner, author and the woman who was behind the tampon tax abolition, Laura Corruton. So I started the petition thinking it would
2: absolutely not succeed because, you know, this petition is about taxation and menstruation, not exactly two sexy topics at the time. Shared it with a couple of my friends and they signed it.
0: They shared it with their friends who signed it. And suddenly people I'd never even heard of before were signing it. It was amazing. And then all of a sudden we started to have like thousands of signatures. And then we started to ask people to write to their members of parliament. And this was the first time a country's ever gone to the European Union and asked them to change a specific tax on a specific product. And they all agreed, which was incredible. I'll see you then. And I think again, one of I the things. I thought, what's is going through her? Heart. Heart. That's what we're giving, isn't it? As a hell we're giving our love. Raise her up.